We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Thank you for joining me here on Shining Stars. Today's guest says she has a lifelong passion for storytelling and service to others. From her first job driving the famous Oscar Mayer Wienermobile to her current role as the executive director of a Michigan-based nonprofit. She has successfully integrated her passions into her career. Her resume includes nonprofit fund development, communications, event management, and corporate marketing functions, and her success in all of these areas have brought her to her current role. She serves at Youth Solutions, an organization dedicated to creating opportunities for disadvantaged youth. Joining me today via video conference is Youth Solutions Executive Director Molly Waller. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Good to see you. Even if it is virtually, yes, it is It is good to be able to see you and at least talk to you uh, about Youth Solutions. I just recently became aware of Youth Solutions. So let's get started by having you expand on the mission of what Youth Solutions does. Wonderful. I love talking about our mission. Our organization is really dedicated to inspiring and connecting youth to a future beyond their imagination. We started in Benton Harbor, Michigan in 2008, and it was the very first Jobs for Michigan's Graduates program at Benton Harbor High School, and we are the state-based affiliate of the Jobs for America's Graduates, which is a national organization, a national nonprofit, with the same mission. So from 2008, when we served 76 youth, to today, when we serve over 4,500 youth around the state. Our mission is to help young people understand careers that are available, understand the education needed to get to those careers, and teach them the life skills so that they can see, so that they can succeed in their education, in their employment, and in their lives. We do have a strong presence in the Lansing area, and knowing that your podcast is coming from Lansing Community College, we do have programs right there in the area, and we work very closely with the Capital Area Michigan Works Agency. Together, we serve hundreds of young people in the area. And again, we serve around 4,500 statewide. It's a very inspiring endeavor. I I am, like I said, I am very happy to hear that you guys are doing this work. Um, And I, I can only imagine that it takes obviously more than you to make this happen. So how important and, and kind of give me an idea of what the organization is like uh, as far as your colleagues and coworkers go. Yeah, that's a, a wonderful question. You know, the colleagues and coworkers that we have at Youth Solutions are some of the most talented people I personally have ever worked with. I think there's a few strengths in our organization. Number one, we have folks at Youth Solutions with a range of talents, whether they have been a superintendent at a school or a counselor at a school. Maybe they've been in marketing for years. Mm-hmm. We've really uh, been able to have a robust and wide-ranging group of folks that are very, very mission-driven. And then you look at the strength of our network, and our network is made up over a, of over 100 specialists. There are teachers. They might not all have a teaching certificate, so we call them specialists. Those people are the positive role models in our young adult lives. A lot of the youth we serve come from either single-parent or guardian households. Lack of a support system at home, lack of academic performance and motivation. They have economic barriers, social barriers, environmental barriers. And so the people that I get the chance to work with and I'm honored to work with are these specialists that really work with the youth every day. And the primary way we do that is through the Michigan Works agencies that exist around the state. There's mm. 16 of them. Okay. And we work to we work with them to actually deliver the services at one over a hundred different programs around the state. Glad you expanded on that because I honestly thought it was quite a bit smaller, but this sounds like it's uh, become quite a, a large organization. Where exactly did this all kind of originate? Where did it come from? What's the history behind it? 
So in 2008, Michigan uh, was looking at a way to help increase education and employment success for young people. And by young people, we serve youth anywhere from about age 11, sixth grade-ish, mm-hmm. up to 24. And so we started a single program in Benton Harbor called Jobs for Michigan's Graduates based on the national model, the Jobs for America's Graduates model. And the model is really about infusing life skills mm-hmm. and high contact hours to help youth remove the barriers that they face to education and employment success. And so in 2008, we rolled it out, and then we saw the success, so we expanded it to other parts of Southwest Michigan. And then as we were talking with other workforce development agencies around the state, they said this might be something that would be beneficial for their area. So we continued to grow, and then we were able to secure a uh, grant from the state of Michigan, the Department of Labor and Economic Opportunity, And with that, we were really able to expand to be statewide. And so now we have relationships with 15 of the 16 workforce agencies. We provide programs in over 100 locations. And our youth hail from over three to 400 different cities, towns, and villages, truly covering from Marquette down to Monroe. Very cool. It sounds like it has become quite a, quite an organization, uh, starting somewhat small, but then getting quite a bit bigger. That's it's awesome that you guys are doing this. The show is called Shining Stars, and very often I like to dive in a little bit about whoever it is I'm talking to a little bit more. Um, not not to say that there is an importance in the organization, but I, I I like to hear the people's stories that are are driving these organizations. Uh, so in your case, as you look back. At, at a younger Molly, did you think that this is the type of work you would be doing? You know, when you started reading my biography, it talked about having a servant heart or, or uh, storytelling in service to others. Mm-hmm. That's been a part of who I am since as long as I can remember, in all honesty. Uh, volunteering as a young person, even in my jobs, whether it was with Oscar Mayer or working for America's Dairy Farmers, there was always a service element there. And I always wanted to help people become whatever it is they wanted to be. I think one of the joys in my career so far is the number of people that I've been able to mentor, Mm -hmm. either as a direct mentor or as their boss, and having them continue to succeed and continue to to stay in touch. I think that's one of the things that I bring to this world and to the different jobs that I have. And it's really about how can I help that person be everything they want to be, which ties so closely to the mission of Youth Solutions. How can we help youth become everything that they want to be? Certainly. So it really has always been a part of my core being and a part of what brings me true inner joy. And as I look at your background, it seems to me you've had quite a bit of success in almost any field you've worked at. And I feel like one of the biggest key components, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, to success in, in your professional life is lifelong learning. How do you keep lifelong learning as a part of what you do and who you are? I do completely agree. Lifelong learning is essential. And so for me, throughout my career, whether it's been taking additional uh, classes, maybe not necessarily for a credit, but for ongoing professional development, um, I've also been trained and continue to work on my communication skills. Um, We have a great program through LinkedIn Learning, and we access that quite frequently. But then I'd say the one that maybe has the biggest impact is the people that I talk with on a regular basis, whether they're through work or through friends groups or family, that's really where the lifelong learning comes in about what is it within me that I can improve? Mm -hmm. How can I be a better person in this world, a better mentor? How can I listen better? Listen to understand, not listen to reply. I think a lot of folks listen to reply. It's kind of our fast-paced society. But being able to listen to understand and try and put yourself as much as you can in someone else's shoes, I think that's important and a big part of lifelong learning that is not a formal academic. It's Mm -hmm. a day-to-day experience. Listen to podcasts, read blogs that you connect to, audiobooks, those kinds of things I think are very important to round out the beauty of this gift that we have called life. Certainly. And, and listening is one of those things that as a communications person, I still to this day have difficulty from time to time where I'm like, I am not listening it to what's happening right now. So, and, and you're right. It is definitely instrumental in lifelong learning and, and getting that knowledge. 
so tell me a little bit about uh, Youth Solution, you know, the impact, uh, the results, the accomplishments, some of the things that have happened where you're like, wow, this is awesome that we have, we have accomplished this. The best place to start is to share a story with you. Okay. There's a young man who came to us with very significant barriers to education and employment. When he joined our program, he was extremely shy, really didn't say much. He had a specialist who connected with him right from the get-go. She and he formed a very strong bond, and she was able to help him come out of his shell a little bit. He was interested in some type of work in maybe electrical energy, or he, he wasn't quite sure. So as she continued to work with him, he was able to go to our National Student Leadership Academy in Washington, D.C. First time he'd ever been on an airplane. First time he had ever left Inkster, Michigan. When they were coming back from the trip, she turned down his street and he said, same old house, same old neighborhood. And she said to herself right then and there, I never want you to have to feel that this is the same old house, same old neighborhood again. Mm-hmm. She helped him enroll in a Detroit Energy, DTE Energy program as a summer intern. The successful summer interns can then land an opportunity to work for DTE while they're going to Henry Ford Community College. He has successfully completed that part, and he is now working at DTE. That's just one amazing story of a young man who found a purpose and a sense of belonging, and I think that's what makes youth solutions and what we do so unique. We foster that sense of belonging. So if you look at our numbers, we have an over 90% graduation rate over 10 years running. We have between 80 and 85% of our young people either go on to post-secondary success, direct to employment, or to the military. And we stay with our young people for 12 months after they get their GED or graduate from high school. The reason being that is a pivotal transition time in a young person's life. How are you doing your first semester at community college? How is the job going? What do you need? Those additional services can really be that pivot point between staying in a post-secondary education or saying, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna work. I'm just gonna go do what my dad did. We want you to do what you want. We want to expose you to all the many industries in Michigan that you could pursue a career in. Results are great. We've served over twenty three thousand youth since two thousand and eight. And we're on target to serve about 4,500 to 5,000 again this year. That is, a, that is a wonderful story, and it is uh, awesome to hear. Obviously, you know, from your viewpoint, you look at uh, result or accomplishments in, first of all, a number basis, but also those personal stories. When you are actually personally going, hey, I feel like I'm making a difference, is it those, is it those personal stories or is it the numbers that you feel like, wow, this is really working, this is a good thing? It's the personal story. That's really what gets me going every day. We have a couple different youth events. In fact, yesterday I was in Middleville, Michigan, which is not too far from Grand Rapids. And we're at one of our annual events where we bring youth together at different YMCAs and we do team building exercises. Mm -hmm. And to watch some of the real shy youth start the day being very hesitant. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure I want to try that rope climb. I'm not sure I want to try that rock climbing wall and then to see the other youth encourage them I'm right here if you need me let me help you that to me is more motivating we need the results for our funders and to show the change that we're making results are incredibly important but it's when I see a young person blossom or I see someone that could never public speak would have to run in the bathroom and be ill to being a very good public speaker one of our youth that's what motivates me. I was actually one of those shy kids when I was growing up, and I'm not even sure how I ended up where I'm at. The only thing I can say is I get to hide behind a microphone. So there you go. Uh, Did you have a good mentor? I would say that I had a, a couple of good mentors over my lifetime, and um, and that, that was helpful in breaking me out of my shell a little bit. Now. <laughs> it took mm-hmm. me a while. Uh, You kind of deal with some heavy subject matter here. You're talking about trying to level the playing field for a lot of youth, and and I'm sure you see some hard cases. So so what is it that you do personally to keep yourself positive when those moments come about? Because they do for everybody. It is a sometimes very heavy job when you know that a young person is going home to a food insecure household or during the pandemic when there was no Internet service and they would 
go to a public library parking lot to try and get service, to try and at least connect virtually to a class. To stay positive, part of me is innately positive. Growing up, it was always, oh, there goes Molly, always with a smile on her face. I think that that's an element. But I believe wholeheartedly any person can choose a positive outlook. I read a lot of research and articles on the power of being positive. Mm -hmm. How many positive comments can keep your positive momentum going? Good breeds good. How it can give you a internal chemical release of positive energy, of positive thinking. I do it by working out regularly, spending time with family and friends, participating in things that I enjoy, whether it's walking or watching a football game or uh, being out on the water or, uh, you know, any, any number of things. Spending time with my nieces and nephews, even, even if it's just a, a quick five-minute text to check in. Surrounding myself with positive people who have positive things to say is definitely a way that I do it. And then it's also about making sure I'm there when someone else needs a shoulder. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just me that feels the heaviness. A lot of times it's our specialists who are right there with the youth who's calling them at literally 2 a.m. Yeah. And the specialist will talk to them. Giving them a shoulder, helping lift them up, that makes me feel good too. Oh, that carries over. Throw that positivity out there. It's, it's just going to go to somebody else and passed on and passed on. So one of my very favorite questions that I like to ask from time to time on the show is, give me your definition of positive change and explain to me how Youth Solutions fits into that. Positive change to me really is about making actions that influence a person or a situation to improve their outlook and their own situation. It can be as big as helping a young person find post-secondary and employment success. It can also be as behind the scenes as helping someone by giving them a compliment and helping them have a better day. Mm -hmm. Positive change can be big or small. My favorite quote is from The Alchemist. Mm -hmm. And I may not say it exactly, but the gist of it is, a person's only true accountability in life is to find their true purpose. Ah. For me, positive change is my true purpose, and I think it should be everybody's because the power it has to make large-scale changes is absolutely enormous. I wholeheartedly agree, and it doesn't matter the amount of positivity you're putting out there. Even if you're just holding the door or smiling at somebody, making somebody's day a little bit better, That's that little bit helps every time, and that's, that's part of the idea yeah. behind this show, too. So what about uh, folks that want to make a positive change by helping out or, or assisting your organization in doing what you are doing? How would they go about doing that? Thank you for that question. I love it. So the best way to support us is to go to our website, www.ouryouthsolutions.org. If you wish to contribute financially, we would greatly appreciate that. Starting November 15th, we're going to be heading into our annual campaign uh, where we're hoping to raise around fifty dollars to $75,000 to help us support our mission. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to learn more about our programs and services, you can do that at the website. And then reach out to us. We can get you in touch with a local area. Maybe you are a teacher or a superintendent or a principal and you want this program in your school. Great. Maybe you are someone who interacts with a young person who would benefit from these services. Great. Reach out to us through the website. We're also on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Very good. And I'll also have that information available on the uh, podcast notes for anybody that wants to check it out at lccconnect.org. Earlier you asked the question, did I have a mentor? I kind of held off on that a little bit because I I knew I was going to be asking you this a little bit later on. To answer your question, yes, I, I would say my main mentor in my life was my mom. She was a single mom raising three young boys, and that is quite a bit to accomplish. So my question to you is... Who was your mentor? Who do you look up to and say, that's kind of my main inspiration? This answer will come come as a surprise to no one. It's my father. My father is, my dad is my life hero. Talk about a person with a positive outlook. I am one of five girls. So you can only imagine the stress of five girls who fight quite a bit, all being teenagers at about the same time. (laughs) But my dad is a, a man of strong character, integrity, great faith. 
positivity, perseverance through tough times, head over heels in love for 62 years with my mom. Oh, great. And they're now in their 80s and just amazing to see the unconditional love. And I wish that for every single human. And how he has mentored me is sometimes by not saying anything, but the lesson is profound. Or by saying just a few words and letting me ponder it. Or by sitting down and having a conversation with me. But he, to me, is everything a person should be, without a doubt. Very cool. Very cool. And it's, uh, it's amazing how we've got two completely different viewpoints, but we're both kind of landing in the same area. So that's good. That's very good. Uh, so do you have a life model, something that you'd like to share with other folks where you're like, hey, this is a great way to look at life? My life motto is really tied to positive change. It's the golden rule. Treat others as you wish to be treated. I mm. treat people with a positive outlook. Hold the door for someone like you just mentioned. Say thank you to someone, a service person. If you can, leave a few extra pennies, dollars, whatever, on the tip. Thank people who are working and showing up because we know they're stressed. Thank the retail person. Thank the mail person. Go about your day with grace and well wishes mm-hmm. and treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay. All right. And and, and you kind of like um, touched on it a little bit right there What I was where I was going next. One of the things that I learned, I do not consider myself a naturally positive person. It is something I have to work at. And part of my process is taking an account from time to time the things that I am grateful for. And I, I usually have a daily practice where I, I stop myself in the middle of the day and I say, okay, this is what I, I am grateful for. What are you you grateful for beyond work? My health, mm-hmm. my family, my friends. I have a very tight group of friends. We are family and friends-wise. We are very honest with each other. We help each other. We lift each other up. I am grateful for the air that I breathe. I'm grateful for the ability to live in Michigan, which is such my favorite place and enjoy four seasons. I'm grateful to be alive, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to impact others. Mm. But mostly I'm grateful for my friends, my family, my health, and my ability to make a difference. That's awesome. Okay, so in your role, I would imagine that you do not get to have as much personal interaction with the youth as some folks in your your organization. But on those occasions that you do, uh, what are the types of advice, things that you would say to them? What would you say to a younger Molly, I guess, is the question. What I would say to a younger Molly or what I would say to the youth that we work with is try different things. Learn about different things. Be a curious person your whole life, a lifelong learner. Mm. There's so many careers out there, and be patient with yourself. Mm. Your first career may not be your last career, and that's okay. You have time. Discover what it is you like. Find a career that fits what you like and what you're good at. Try a lot of things. Give yourself patience and grace, and treat others the way you want to be treated. Very cool. I will testify and be a testament to the fact that your first career choice may not be your final career choice. Very often that happens that way. And I think that happens for a lot of folks. When we were talking at one point, uh, there was something that you'd said about the power of raising the voice of the youth in our work. What exactly do you mean by that? Our customer is the youth. Our customer is that young person that we want to help get on a path to education and employment success. Raising their voice is critically important to help them do that. It's also critically important to us because the youth is our future. Mm -hmm. And so there's a number of things that we do, including we have a youth advisory council who help inform us on things connected to the programs that we deliver. We have an alumni network where we stay in touch with the young folks. And we have a series of web conversations called Coffee with a Purpose. Mm. And Coffee with a Purpose is where youth talk about topics of high interest to them. So next week we have one where we're going to be talking about careers, particularly in the energy sector because it's careers in energy week, but also about energy itself. Starting in the spring, we're going to have a three-part web conversation where youth are going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, things that are very important to them. We need to raise their voices to help them figure out what it is they stand for, what they want to do, but also to help us understand how do they see the world. 
Certainly. And how together can we work for positive change? DEI is definitely something that is um, making greater strides, and it is good to see. I do have one more question for you, but before we go, I, I want to say thank you very much for taking a little bit of time out of your day. It was wonderful to have the opportunity to talk and meet you. So thank you for that. And I also want to say keep up the great work there at Youth Solutions. Thank you so very much. All right, here we go. This is the uh, final question here, and this is one I ask of all my Shining Star guests. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought in the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, what would that thought be? Youth are our future. Let's work with them to create the one we want. I think that works. I think that works. All right, Molly, snap your fingers. Remember, we can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand, along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. If you're considering returning to school, exploring career options, or needing support in life transitions, Lansing Community College has the Adult Resource Center available to qualified students. The Adult Resource Center staff provides one-on-one appointments, registration assistance, referrals to community and campus resources, tuition and childcare grants, academic advising, and other helpful tools to help with your educational career. To find out more information, visit lcc.edu and search Adult Resource Center. For over 30 years, Ellie's Place has provided grief support to children and teens at no cost to families. Serving over 31,000 individuals in the Capital Region. They offer peer-to-peer support groups that provide a safe place for individuals to talk about the death of someone near them. While working through their feelings and emotions as they learn to embrace loss. We're a stronger community when we care for each other. For more information and grief resources, visit elliesplace.org. Lansing Community College welcomes transfer students. Transfer students may apply prior credits toward their LCC degree, certificate, or transfer program. Learn more at lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to the Star Zone, a program dedicated to highlighting the services and resources available to students at Lansing Community College. I'm Rhonda Miller, Dean of Student Affairs. Now let's find out what's in the zone, the star zone. Hi, I'm Lisa, an academic advisor here at LCC. Academic advising is an integral part of a student's college career. Advisors are here to help students define and achieve their educational goals and provide information, encouragement, and advice for making good academic decisions. We listen to concerns and ask questions to help you through the entire process. Academic advising is also confidential. We're here to help. It's what we do. When a student meets with an academic advisor early and throughout their academic career, they tend to save time as well as money. We'll work together to establish a plan to help students reach their goals. Come see us. You can work with an academic advisor in person, over the phone, via web chat, or even by virtual appointment. Go to lcc.edu slash advising to learn more. Thanks so much for listening. Once again, I'm Rhonda Miller, and I invite you to find out more about the other features of the Star Zone by visiting lcc.edu slash in the zone. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. 
LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Embracing diversity is a continuing process, one that requires honesty, cooperation, and meaningful conversations. At Lansing Community College, we understand our journey towards inclusion and equity begins with an examination of how we relate to one another. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion has partnered with the Office of Police and Public Safety to create We're Better Than That, an anti-bigotry campaign. To find out more about We're Better Than That, visit lcc.edu. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship available to graduating high school seniors. Find information at lcc.edu slash hope. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. From Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect, and this is Land Stories, with me, David Seawick. Each episode explores a different topic, such as the people, business, neighborhoods, communities, buildings, and other phenomena that make up the history of our college and our region. We tell stories, and in doing so, we connect the past to the present. In this episode of Lance Stories, we continue our look into the olden days of Lansing baseball. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episode, I would encourage you to go back and do so as we are looking at the days of yore in Lansing, Michigan with professional baseball. And the Lansing Lugnuts are the professional baseball team that currently play in the city of Lansing. And that is an organization that has its presence in Lansing dating back to the mid-1990s, with 1996 being the first year that the Lansing Lugnuts played. And the Lugnuts are affiliated with the Oakland Athletics. They've had uh, other affiliations as well. And the way affiliation works in baseball, for those of you that aren't uh, aficionados of the sport and all of its uh, seemingly strange ways of terminology and how teams are organized, the current system of minor league baseball in the United States has an association or an affiliation that many teams have in a formal structure with Major League Baseball. So the Detroit Tigers, for example, have a double-A affiliate, triple-A affiliate, single-A affiliate, oftentimes more than one actually, playing within one of those A distinctions, which is the tiered uh, system of minor league baseball, AAA being the highest, and then going down to AA, and then single A, and within single A, there's high A and low A, and then the rookie leagues, as they're called, which is sort of the initial starting point in the tiered uh, system of minor league baseball. Affiliation refers to a minor league team having a formal tie to a major league team. So in the case of the Lansing Lugnuts, being affiliated with the Oakland Athletics means that the players that play on the Lugnuts team currently are in the Oakland A's pipeline to the major leagues, meaning if a player in the Lansing Lugnuts continues to show that he is potentially of major league caliber or at least of good enough talent to advance to the next level, he will continue to do so and move up through the different minor league affiliated teams within the Oakland Athletics the Lugnuts being the high A affiliate, and maybe eventually one day end up playing for the Major League team. And there have been several baseball players that have played through the Lugnuts through the years that have played or have gone on to play in the Major Leagues. The Toronto Blue Jays were the previous Major League affiliate that the Lansing Lugnuts were associated with, and so there are several players through the years that have ended up playing for the Toronto Blue Jays that at one time stepped up to the plate here in Lansing. Now, this episode, though, will not 
Beyond that, discuss the Lansing Lugnuts. We're actually going to go back and continue looking at the history of, or the story behind, baseball in Lansing during the uh, long-ago era of the sport, and that is the early 1900s that we're focusing on here. And the team that uh, we've been talking about or considering the most is a team that was called the Lansing Senators. And the Lansing Senators played several seasons between 1889 and all the way up to 1941. The league that they played in had several iterations. It was called the Michigan State League for several years. And then that league ultimately disbanded at one point, formed again, called itself the Southern Michigan League, and then it uh, itself broke up and the Senators ultimately played in the leagues, the, a couple leagues that followed, actually, including the Central League, and then the Michigan State League, finally, in the early 1940s. So all in all, the Senators played from 1889 to 1890 and 1895. They played a season in 1897, and then they played another season in 1902, and then had a stretch from 1907 to 1914 where the Southern Michigan League was able to survive for that long. And then that league itself ran into problems in 1914. And the Senators moved actually in the middle of the 1914 season to Mount Clemens. Mount Clemens is over in uh, Macomb County away from Lansing, and then the team ended up coming back to Lansing, and in 1921 and 1922 played their seasons as part of the Central League. An attempt in 1940 and 41 um, to organize another league, the Michigan State League, uh, culminated in 1941 with a season, and the city team, the Lansing Senators, Played that season. Then 1941 is the year that that iteration of the Michigan State League and the ultimate fate of the Lansing Senators is decided not by matters related to baseball, but because of the U.S.'s entrance into World War II. And so for a on-again, off-again period of time, the first 40 years of the 20th century and dating back into the latter part of the 19th century, the Lansing Senators had a presence as Lansing's professional baseball team playing in the minor leagues. What happens after that is, uh, or and even during that, is equally as interesting. And in the last episode of Land Stories, one of the things that I discussed was the cultural and social background of the game of baseball. And that's going to enter into the story of Lansing Baseball again in this episode of Land Stories, or this part two of our olden days of Lansing Baseball episode. And the sport of baseball is one that is absolutely ingrained within the very fabric of American culture as it uh, develops and grows, and especially as the United States becomes an urban and a suburban society. And that development, away from being a, a country that most people were farmers in, which was the case in the United States until before the Civil War, to a country where there was a very mixed economy of farmers and then eventually factory workers and office workers and retail workers, that transformation of the American economy away from being one almost entirely dependent upon agriculture uh, to one that undergoes the Industrial Revolution and creates a society full of factory workers and office workers and retail workers and all the economic roles that, as part and parcel to urbanization of the society and the social changes that come with that, baseball develops side by side all of that and so the sport of baseball as I proposed in the previous episode one that is a playing out on the field in artistic form in many ways uh, the roles of society American culture 
as it's developing at the time. And so baseball players play in city parks. The city park movement was a very important part of the urbanization of the United States. Urban reformers, as they were called, city planners, folks all around the United States looked at the development of American cities and they said it would be healthy and helpful for the benefit of everybody who lived in cities if there were parks, places that people could have a recreation time, fresh air, enjoying the outdoors, and, and the thought or the idea of needing such recreational places was really not even in the mindset of most in the pre-Civil War era because most people, well, they worked on farms, and so they lived outdoors most of the day, and the idea of recreation as being a way to get physical activity and exercise outdoors was something that, again, would have just been anathema on the mind of most people because it was entirely not thought of as something that people needed. They worked outdoors all day uh, doing hard physical labor on a farm, and therefore you didn't need to exercise outdoors to keep your body in good shape. Well, by the time we get to the early 1900s, many Americans have moved into cities, and there becomes a mindset or, or realization that a lot of Americans don't get any exercise anymore or very little compared to what they once did. And this created an alarm amongst, well, every uh, order of society, including right up to the President of the United States. And Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, as he's better known to history, actually plays a really important part in this. Teddy Roosevelt was a huge fan of sports, not only baseball, but especially football, the version of football that is played in North America, which is very different than the sport the rest of the world calls football that we here uh, in this side of the Atlantic call soccer. But the development of football is a story that we'll cover in another day here on Land Stories, and, and we are going to do a future episode looking at the sport of football in Lansing and East Lansing in this area as a whole. And yes, that is going to involve considering the team that plays in East Lansing. That would be the Michigan State University Spartans. But for now, Teddy Roosevelt comes into the picture in the sense that he... One of the things he did as president is he was very public in encouraging Americans to become fit. Physical fitness is one of the key initiatives that Teddy Roosevelt had in his role as being sort of the cheerleader-in-chief, the uh, president who, and more than anybody up to that point, Teddy Roosevelt certainly was, a public figure who, rather than simply, or maybe not so simply, making his mark on society through legislation, Teddy Roosevelt understood that society at that point had presented itself with the opportunity of leaders persuading people by giving grand announcements and grand speeches and therefore advocating for something. So nowadays we may call this being an advocate or community organizer or having a cause that one stands up for and speaks out against in public. Back then, it was known as a great endeavor that a person like Teddy Roosevelt would give, primarily through public speaking. And Roosevelt was a master at public speaking. So one of the things that Roosevelt encouraged Americans to do was to go outdoors, to exercise, and to get fit. And the public municipal park movement that is developing in the United States at this time is part and parcel to that, and baseball, therefore, has yet another role to play in these important developments in American culture. We have talked about the Lansing Senators as a professional baseball team that has its start in Lansing at the very end of the 1800s, that would be the 19th century, and has several iterations, plays several seasons throughout the first decades of the 1900s, that would be the 20th century. However, the Senators were not the only baseball team, nor were the various leagues that the Senators played in through their years the only organized baseball associations that had an impact on Lansing. 
or other cities in Michigan, for that matter. And in 1928, the Lansing Baseball Federation formed as part of the Lansing Athletic Federation, and athletic federations such as that in Lansing were groups that existed that tried to form organized sports. So organized sporting events that people could participate in who weren't professionals. Most of them were amateur athletics. Athletic organizations that formed community basketball leagues, for example. Basketball is starting to become a popular sport at this time period. Baseball as well. And because, as we all know by now, baseball was an extremely popular sport in the United States at this time period, many cities such as Lansing started to have baseball leagues pop up, baseball leagues that were organized by and very much sponsored by companies or organizations. And the players who played for these teams were the workers who worked at these companies or organizations. And these became known as city leagues because they were organized at the city level and primarily uh, consisted of teams and players who were from companies or organizations that existed in the city in which the city league was formed. So in Michigan, many cities had uh, city leagues. Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Flint, Saginaw, and many other cities I haven't named, and certainly in including Lansing. And so the organization of the Lansing Baseball Federation started in 1928 was exactly this. It was an organization of companies and other organizations that came together to field teams, to organize a schedule, to organize a league, including a location that the city league teams could play their games at. And the Lansing Baseball Federation, therefore, is part of this overall movement of leisure and recreational activities being encouraged amongst the population. City leagues also had another component of the organization, and that was that because these were leagues that were sponsored by, in fact, organized by companies encouraging their workers to play on the teams, they became a form of worker loyalty and meaning a company believed it could gain some type of a loyalty or a commitment to working for that company by having its workers play in the company baseball team. At the outset, this statement may seem a little bit maybe um, like, well, you know, what's the big deal? Why would somebody want to keep working for a company just to play for the baseball team? But in, at the time period, this actually could be a major motivating factor um, because people really enjoyed playing baseball. And some of the men who played for these city league teams were really, really good. And in fact, the participation in these city leagues provided a great degree of enjoyment and personal enrichment and satisfaction out of life. And at the time period... Uh, industrial labor, and that's to say not only working in a factory, but the other forms of work that existed at the time, involved some pretty, uh, well, shall we say, tough working conditions. People worked long days back then. The eight-hour workday had certainly made its way into some industries, but not others at the time. So there were still places where people worked 9, 10, 11, 12-hour workdays, and wages in the 1920s weren't nearly as high as they would be after World War II when labor unions come into great prominence and a booming economy and a shortage of workers. Uh, all these three things combined to give a dramatic increase in wages compared to what they had been in years prior. That That's off into the future. In the 1920s, wages were still uh, relatively speaking, low compared to what they would be in the future. So work life was hard. And giving workers an outlet, a leisurely activity to partake in, that was in many ways much, much more enjoyable than the job itself, was a way for companies to, well, 
get people to come work for him. And it appeared to work. City leagues were very, very, very popular around the United States. And the first companies that fielded teams that were part of, therefore, this initial 1928 organization of the Lansing City League, which is known as the Lansing Baseball Federation at the time, included Novo Engine, Michigan Screw, Arbaugh's, which was a big department store in Lansing. For you Lansing history aficionados, you know that the Arbaugh's department store building is still there. It's a Now it's a red brick uh, colored building that stands at the corner of Kalamazoo Street and Michigan Avenue right in downtown Lansing. That would be the southeast corner of Kalamazoo Street and Michigan Avenue. And it's actually right next door to the AFL-CIO hall here in Lansing. And Arbaugh's was one of the major retail stores that had developed in, at the time period. So they fielded a team or, or were part of this initial Lansing Baseball Federation organization, as was the QP Hotel, Best Radiator, and Atlas Drop Forge. And so many of those companies are, even though on that initial organization there's only six teams but nonetheless many of those give us a uh, sense well they all give us a sense of what the economy uh, looked like and where people worked at the time and that's in in my mind anyways one of the always fascinating things to consider about uh, city leagues is the fact that when you look at a city like Lansing at this time period and you consider who uh, the teams were that were playing in these leagues. You get a sense of what the economy of the area looked like at the time and what people did for a living. And baseball becomes a very important part of that working world. There were other organizations and companies that ended up eventually fielding their own city league teams, including the uh, postal workers and the police and fire departments here in the city of Lansing. And One of the more interesting aspects of City League Baseball, not only here in Lansing, but in other places as well, was this formation of these teams that became known as barnstorming teams. And these were essentially semi-pro traveling teams that some of which made quite a name for themselves. And the term semi-pro is what came to be used to describe the uh, level of play for the City League team. Semi-pro because the players were kind of professional, but not really. They were professional in the sense that in playing for a City League team, they were paid employees of the team because the team was fielded by the companies that sponsored them. But their pay wasn't really for playing baseball independent of being hired by and they're both for employed by uh, the company or the organization that sponsored the team. So that's why they're called semi-pro. But these teams were extremely popular in the city leagues that sprang up all around the United States. And oftentimes they would play these barnstorming teams. And the term barnstorming was a term that dates back to this time period, talking the 1920s, where it was a, a term that was given to something that's would travel making quick, fantastic presence uh, presentation around the country. And the barnstorming teams did exactly this, and they would travel from city to city playing local teams. One of the very popular barnstorming teams that came to Lansing and played from time to time, that came to a lot of other cities in Michigan too, was a team from a religious commune called the House of David. House of David has a, a fascinating story to it. It was what uh, what we nowadays would probably call a religious commune, a community that was set up as sort of an ideal way of living according to the religious beliefs of its founders. And the House of David has its home in Benton Harbor. Their baseball team was well-known because of the way that the, uh, the men appeared. And that is, they all wore very long beards. And that was part of their religious belief system, actually. 
why they wore their hair that way, but their their long beards were an absolute telltale recognizable uh, feature of their appearance on the baseball diamond, as well as in other aspects of public life. And, and the House of David stars traveled around and played various city league teams, including here in Lansing, where they made their presence known. And the City Leagues in Lansing initially played in a location that I discussed in the previous episode, Municipal Park, which was a park that was on East Michigan Avenue, about a mile, mile and a half from the Michigan State Capitol building. The City Leagues played in other locations around the city too, including a baseball field that Durant Motors had built for their employees and at a the Michigan Vocational School for Boys which was started as a uh, reform school, actually, for troubled youth that no longer exists in Lansing, but it did at the time. And, and other locations around the city as well, including many that I had mentioned in the previous episode. So go ahead and check that episode out if you're looking for more information on where some of these teams played. So the sport of baseball in Lansing has existed before World War II is uh, very much a look into the cultural development of a city such as Lansing. And that is one of the truly fascinating things about examining how baseball, how baseball became part of American culture and American society in these formidable years of the nation's development. 1941 is the really the the uh, stopping point of what I would call the olden days of Lansing baseball, and that would be because of, of course, World War II. The United States enters the Second World War at the end of 1941, having already been uh, involved in the armament of the nations that would become American allies during the war. But after the U.S. enters the war, at the end of 1941, the uh, availability of young men to field baseball teams or the availability of any worker to have the spare time or the companies to have the spare resources to field baseball teams is put on hold due to the demands of the Second World War. The city leagues come back and professional baseball also eventually comes back to Lansing. For now, that is going to conclude our look at this era of Lansing baseball. Heard something that you want to learn more about on the show? Heard something that you think, hey, actually, I've got a slightly different version of that story, and I want to let you know about it. Or any other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, drop me a message. You can find my contact details along with details of all of the other programming and hosts we have on the LCC Connect series at lccconnect.org. You've been listening to Land Stories with me, David Seawick. For more information on this program and to stream past episodes, visit lccconnect.org. LCC Connect is the official home of the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College, offering hours of original and exciting programming. Hosted by faculty, staff, and community members, LCC Connect explores our college's work in the community, important topics in higher education, and our vision for the future. Catch the vibe on 89.7 FM or online at lccconnect.org. Until next time, remember, keep telling good stories. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.